Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Good evening, everyone. It's Danny Prince here, um, joining you post trade period final day, where absolutely everything that could happen happened. Um, very excited to run through everything, to break it all down, to chat the ins and outs of the Hawks trade period, where Mackenzie was wheeling and dealing, and got just about everything possibly. He wanted to get done, done, and we will go through them all in detail. Um, before we do that, before we get started, I want to introduce my co-hosts for this evening, the one and only Andrew Weiss. Weissy, how are you, mate? How are you feeling? Good evening, Princey. Yes, very, very happy. Uh, I mean, obviously, everything's relative. Um, the players that we've got will, on a whole be upgrades on the players that we've lost, um, being able to increase our draft hand to get the father-son picks we required by shuffling from next year's selections through to this year. I think all in all, we've done very well. And I think having Jack Gunston back at the club is probably the nice sentimental cherry on the top of it all. So, yep, happy days. Um, And Mackenzie's done a pretty, pretty good job of it. If anybody is sentimental within the Hawks Insiders, it's definitely yourself, uh, Lucy. So <laughs> the Gunston one, definitely. You were doing hard eyes ever since that's been mentioned in our WhatsApp group. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been open as saying I don't think he necessarily needs to play that many games for us for this to be a good a good trade in in terms of what he can do from a. Um, from a forward line point of view, um, from a forward line coaching point of view, and you know, just that that sentimental notion of him finishing his career where he belongs with um, with Brewsty by his side, uh, and yeah, again, if if we are able to get more than a dozen games a year from him over the next couple of years, uh, that's a bonus. I don't I don't think that's what this trade was about. So very, very happy with it. Absolutely. Uh, Brad Klebanski, your initial takeaways on the trade period as a whole and today, and thanks for joining us. Evening all. Yeah, excellent trade period. We ended up getting all the players that Mackenzie and uh, Mitchell set out uh, to get. So you'd have to say that's a really big positive, whether we think all the players are good, not good, or whatever the club it identified all those players and were able to bring them all in. Losing Ryan is a little disappointing, but it helped us obviously bring uh, Chol across. We used the future second pick to give to the Suns for Chol, who I think is a bit of an upgrade on Jacob Barkazitsky, who left. Um, our depth, key position depth, is a bit of a worry. Um, will McCabe will obviously come in. He's a couple of years of playing senior football. So I think the key position stocks still needs a bit of work, but overall, uh, Jack Ginvenu, I told you all last night, was a lock to come in on that four-year deal. 
Um, Gunston, as you've touched on, excellent to have him back at the club. Uh, Massimo D'Ambrosio, I think, will play a lot of footy next year. He's in our best 22 to start the year, 50-50. Um, but, yeah, I think we should all be quite excited heading heading into 2024. Absolutely, Brad. And we'll break all of those deals down in detail shortly. AJ, uh, back for round three of this trade period for you. Uh, good to have you again this evening. Thank you, Danny. I'm thinking back to about 12 months ago when we all came together after the end of the trade period and there was an air of cautious optimism around saying, OK, I can see where the club's going and let's let's see how it plays out. You compare that to 12 months later, there's, there's this real feeling of hope and happiness around Hawthorne at the moment. It, it just feels good after a couple of years down at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah, I think, look, the, there's a real thought around the trade period can be a bit of a sugar hit for clubs and clubs fans especially um, because you feel like you're getting something that's going to A, improve you straight away or B, um, really just gives you that injection of endorphins that you've been looking for post the season finishing. But some of these deals really look like they help set us up for the immediate and for the future. So that's that's really exciting. Uh, Mick, you're jumping in uh, tonight as well. I think you've got a few comments that you want to make. So welcome to you, uh, mate. Always good to have you on board. Hi, everyone. Yeah, um, I think Mackenzie more than earned his money today. Um, and having done it before, even the, the actual... Oh, D'Ambrosio went through really late, but the others were all done with half an hour to spare. So he's, you know, I think he's... Um, from what we started with to where we've ended up with... Um, I think we couldn't have done any better, to be perfectly honest. Absolutely. And fashionably late is our leader, Mr. Ashley Brown. How are you, Ash? Uh, hello. What's been going oh, on? Not much. Been at a family <laughs> dinner. Any no, news? Not, not really. Pretty quiet day. Uh, yeah, well, uh, amazing day for Mark, Mark McKenzie. Uh, to piece that all together it was like one of those sort of thousand-piece jigsaw puzzles that he... Uh, Managed to complete just in time. I thought he uh, it was nice and he had to be towards the uh, Bombers at the end. Who would have thought Adrian Dodoro's last act as last trade act as Essendon list manager was to shake hands with Mark McKenzie of Hawthorne? So I wonder what they're saying about that over at Bombers Insiders, um, Brad. Very good question, Ash. I do not know. But yeah, uh, Dodo, his tenure at the Bombers after 20 years is finally over. So hopefully going forward, the Bombers will be a decent club to deal with. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be betting any money on that, Bradley. Uh, I think uh, I think that's a core thing, not just a the Doro thing. But what you're basically saying is the the dodo is extinct. That's that's what you're saying, is it? Correct. Beautiful. Don't now so well. we will break down some of these trades now um, and go into detail on them. We will be joined at nine o'clock. I've just had confirmation from Josh Gabalich who will go into the deals in detail as well as give his take on Hawthorne's trade period and today as a whole. And uh, who better to give us that insight than a man who was basically uh, at the forefront of everything uh, and really uh, keyed in. So really looking forward to having a chat to Josh later on this evening. But the final day trade wrap from a purely Hawthorne perspective. Deal number one, Jack Ginnivan, Pick 39 and a future second t- tied to Collingwood and a future fourth tied to Collingwood came to Hawthorne in exchange for 33, future second tied to the Hawks and a future third tied to the Hawks. 
After that, we had pick 49 for Jacob Kaczynski. We had Jack Gunston, pick 47, pick 61, and a future second for Brandon Ryan, pick 39, pick 54, and a future fourth. We then had Mabior Chol for and pick 62 for a future second. And then, we, as Ash mentioned, we finished off with Massimo D'Ambrosio and uh, force pick 61 and a future fourth. And that future fourth was tied to Collingwood. So, Weesey, before we get into anything else, do you have in front of you where our picks currently sit and where they sat before the trade period? Oh, well, I think with all due respect, I think this is where we should invite Mick in because he's the one that has been keeping the Twitter community updated as each trade's broken with uh, with where our picks and points currently sit. So, Mick, this is probably um, the opportunity for you to go through that because you've been piecing that together. No worries, Wussy. So... Our starting points and picks were 3, 30, and 49. So, as we know, 3 got pushed out to 4. 30, if you want me to go through all the steps, I can. Go but for that it. In, okay, so 30 became 31 with the due date compo. And actually, actually, that was the first deal done. Then it got pushed out to 32 with Mackay. Then it became 33. Then it became 39 with the um, Ryan deal. And then it became... Then we have um, so. Was yeah, that with the got, Ginevan the Ginevan deal? Um, I think I've got that as a Ryan deal thirty nine. As oh, sorry, it became it was the given Ginevan deal, but it went out with Ryan. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So then we've got uh, then it became because this is where it gets really messy because then we got the Brockman trade in we got forty four which we've kept. Then we got the Gunston deal, we got 47, which we kept. And then we've got the Kaczynski deal, 49, which we kept. The original 49 became 50 with the Jordan compo, 51 with the Flynn compo, then got pushed out as well with um, Duda and Mackay to 53. Then uh, at 54, that got um, dealed out with Ryan. Then we had D'Ambrosio. We had 61 with one of the trades. I didn't follow that part, but that got dealt out as well. And we've ended up with 62 and 63. And 83 came in because the Cats did a deal with Port Adelaide to create the fifth round in that next year, uh, the initiative's draft, which has no points. Yeah, so, right. you know, so we've got, in summary, 4, 44, 47, 49, 62 and 63. So on, on actual points, we started with 3,150 and we've ended up with 3,234. So after all that, we've gone up in points, Mick. That's what you're saying. Gone up 84 points, yep, 84 points in total. And but so, been, Mick, what, what's the effect on our 2024 draft hand? 2024, yep. To increase that 100-odd this year, obviously we've given up some of next year's selections. Correct. I've got us only with a pick one and a pick two, which is tied to Collingwood. And we've dealt out of picks three and four with um, trades to Collingwood and the trade to uh, Brisbane. Well, we lost that future fourth with D'Ambrosio, didn't we, right at the end? Yeah, and we had a Collingwood one. We had a Collingwood future fourth as well. That went out as well too. 
Yeah, so we've only got two. We've got the first two round picks next year. The second one's tied to Collingwood as best I could follow that part. So it'll be really interesting to see where the Hawks go with their future picks. I think that there'll be more movement in that space and next year they'll be looking to get active to fill their hand again um, uh, in, in that third and fourth round as well. Ashley, do you um, want to say something? Yeah, I want to know how many, so how many list spots the Hawthorne have to fill now. Bramble, who's who, so the, who's the players in limbo are Lockie Bramble, Ned Long, and Fergus Green. Um, and then right. obviously Kazitsky's gone out, Ryan's gone out, um, uh, Brockman's gone out. Uh, that's it for the players out, if unless memory serves me incorrectly. And then obviously you've got the players that were delisted, like uh, Tank Morris, uh, Emerson Jecker. Uh, there was another one that uh, Fionn O'Hara, but he's Category B. Um, so there's there's quite a substantial amount of players that have gone out from the footy club. Um, and then I guess it's about seeing where the list spots actually sit post the players coming in. But I'd be expecting, you know, it's a three to four players taken at the draft type of situation, probably leaning towards three over four. Looks pretty clear cut, doesn't it? It'll be three, it'll be pick four at the moment, which will probably end up being pick five. And then there'll be points to Matt and then matching bids for McCabe and, and Deer if they're interested. I, I think that's where they position themselves, yeah. And I, I think the only way that changes is potentially if uh, we, you know, Melbourne sort of tap the Hawks on the shoulder and say, hey, would you do six and 11 for four? Then I think the Hawks would probably look at that. Uh, and then what that means for, for say, somebody like Kel Shadir would be a suck-it-and-see type situation, I think. I assume that might also, uh, of those three players you mentioned without contracts, Prinzi, I, I mean, in terms of final list lodgements and that sort of thing, you might have more of an idea on that, but there will be a, um, we will wait and see, like, like that continued, we'll wait and see. Um, when do final list lodgements have to be in? Obviously, there's a supplemental period over summer, but in terms of around the draft and, and list numbers? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I've got to do my homework on the dates because there's different um, list lodgement dates and um, there are certain sort of, you've got to have X done by a certain date, but uh, I couldn't tell you the exact dates right now, Weesey, so you've caught me on the hop there. No. One more question on the draft for you, Danny, there is because he's a Category B rookie, if he slides, and we don't expect to, judging by uh, Toomey's last, uh, his last phantom draft, but if Chew Jath slides to a point where he's a possibility to Hawthorne, then consider taking four. Uh, like if he's last after pick 40, you mean, and matching him? Yeah. yeah, if he's still accessible, or even if it gets to the point where we have a pick and we haven't had to put a second bid in yet. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Look, I I don't think the second option happens. Just we don't have the draft hand to be able to actually take him. Um, but uh, if he last past pick 40 and we can match a bid on him, we would look at doing that. The issue that we have there is we then struggle because we probably wouldn't have the the points to match on him as well. So my, my take is that they're not expecting him to last past pick 40, but maybe Mick has a, a different opinion there. Oh, no, I was just, I was just going to say we've got 35 contracted at the moment and they've got the four we picked up today. That's 39. Um, 
And I just wonder whether they'll upgrade, you know, like Newcomb's still a rookie, I think. So he could be upgraded and that'd be a pick. Um, mm. And, you know, and not actually picking a player. So, and that actually might then leave a spot for a um, pre-season draft. Yeah, they generally like to keep one spot free, don't they, for the um, SSP. But potentially maybe that that they don't do that this year based on how Wingard's recovery goes. And if Wingard's recovery isn't, Tracking all too well, they put him to, out to pasture for the whole season, and uh, and then they open up the SSP spot that way. Just just thinking out loud. Anyway, um, we've got a lot to get through. I want to break down first and foremost, uh, Bradley. The Jack Ginevan deal uh, was the first one done today. What was your initial takeaway on that deal? Uh, excellent deal. I'm one of those in the definitely in the four camp. It was. A need for us, a position we need quality in. Obviously, Brockman went out. He wasn't necessarily best 22, but Chad Wingard's going to miss uh, half, if not three quarters of next season. Jack Kinnivan's an interesting one. He's only 20 years old, so those that think you know, he's not as high quality as they think. Like He kicked, I think, 40 goals as a 19-year-old. Yes, he played in a really strong uh, Collingwood side. But you put him in a forward line with Luke Bruce, uh, Dylan Moore, I think, will play a bit more forward next year as well. Connor McDonald's quite classy and, you know, spends a bit of time in the forward line as well. Um, I think he's a brilliant uh, pickup. Uh, he does need to work on his uh, defensive game. That is one an area where our forward line is going to struggle, keeping the ball in there. We don't really have a lot of quality defensive small forwards. Dylan Moore... I guess, can play that role, but he does often play a little high up uh, the ground. But Jack Ginevan, for what we paid to bring him in, he's only 20 years old. His off-field uh, problems, yes, uh, they are there. But I think Sam Mitchell's the perfect coach for him. Uh, he's obviously a mad Hawthorne supporter. The biggest question is, is, is he going to get number 33? So that'll be an interesting watch. But for me, a massive positive for us. I want to throw it out there to the group. Um, I saw a couple of Hawks fans saying that we overpaid for Josh Ginevan, or uh, um, for Jack Ginevan. Um, what was there anybody that fits into that camp, or are we all on the same page that uh, that Ginevan was a good deal for the Hawks? I think uh, that you have to look at everything collectively, and I mean we'll we'll get into some of the other trades and. Um, look at, um, I think you've got to put the Chole trade and the Gunston trade together to see how it sort of cancels each other out. But I think you've got to look at it collectively. Individually, it looks like a pretty good deal. I think I saw someone mention that on face value, the points differential equated to a roughly pick 21, but obviously that's going to slide... Um, significantly um, when uh, points are getting used up, especially with the number of late draft picks and the the way that they swapped as well. So oh, I don't think that there are any issues with what we paid for him. Obviously, in the whole week, the last week we've been talking about it, my question was get him in. It's just about what it costs. And really it's sort of around that future second. I think that's a pretty fair price for someone who very much is on the board as part of our next premiership team. So I think it's a really, really good, good deal. 
Yeah, I'm with Weesey. I think, you know, beginning to overpay. They wanted him out. You know, I just I just put up, you know, it reminded me so much of Jaden Stevenson. You know, they, they'd had enough of him and they just thought, we'll, we'll get him out. Yeah. And with the boys on this, I reckon it was a, a good, very good outcome. Definitely not an overpay. Fair. Well, it's good that we've got a resounding um, echo of the same opinion, which is uh, helpful. Um to Trout in a second, uh, but before we do that, I just want to use this opportunity to say, if you've got a question, um, request to speak, jump on, and we will get you on with the boys, and you can ask away. So, first, uh, cab off the rank tonight, Trout, uh, welcome, the floor is yours. Just unmute yourself, mate. This will surely be a cosy, cosy question coming from yeah. Trout. Here I am. Welcome. Yeah, no, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. Oh, yeah. Look, quite often listen to you guys. I enjoy um, listening because you get a different perspective because I don't have a vested interest in, the, say, like the Hawthorne, like I do with Richmond. But it's it's good to listen to you talk and all that sort of stuff. So well done there. Uh, just three quick points. Um, first one with Ginevan. Um, magnificent. I would have taken him at Richmond in a heartbeat. Um, this kid can play. He's, he's, um, he's just got a... Do a little bit more, probably hard work, and um, I think he he can incite the crowd, his own members, to get excited, and, and and that's a rare talent in in football. I think I think he's going to be exciting for you. Um, he's only young; the young generation of that age generally live on social media and through social media. So I think he'll he'll grow up and learn a little bit on the way. Um, with Chol, I think he's a good pickup. I think he's goods. Good. I think he just needs to keep the good going rather than just get a little bit slack here and there and does a couple of things where he doesn't probably chase as hard and all that. But both of them go into a new club. Every player goes to a new club, wants to do a little bit harder and work a little bit harder. So I think I think it's going to be two good pickups for you guys. Um, I'm not a big – I don't have a bunch of knowledge on, on Cozzy and all that. I I'd rather – I've seen him occasionally and I feel he's got – a good sized body can use his body and is a good kick. Um, I think if that is the case, that's going to be good for us because we are in a little bit of trouble in the forward line. Well, if you listen to Josh Jenkins, he's going to win three common medals and possibly two Brownlow medals. Um, but still has, but, but still has to find something different. That still needs to find something. Whereas with us, uh, he's been referred to as uh, hands of stone and feet of slate. So somewhere in the middle of their trout is, is your uh, is your next key forward. He'll have some games where you'll you'll love him, and the, then there'll be games where he's invisible. And that's really that's probably the frustration with Hawthorne, and that's probably the reason why they were really only happy to offer him one year and uh, and a bit of chump change to keep to stay at the club. So, but uh, he's the sort of player that uh, he's going to a good club. He knows Adam Muzo from. The time in Hawthorne, um, it could work out very well, and then playing the MCG most weeks. So, I think I think it'd be okay at Richmond, but I, you know, I don't think there's too many people at Hawthorne, particularly uh, devastated to see him go. Yeah, well, look, the 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 feat of slate is something that has been a game plan of ours for a while. We quite often get Lynch and had Rewalt to get the hands of the ball and had no interest in marking and just getting it to ground. Like many times, I'm thinking, why they get two hands of the ball and they don't mark it? So if he can just follow along that that uh, that line, I think that that's 
a good starting point for us. If that's the case, I think Tim O'Brien's still available as a free no. agent as well. <laughs> I was I was actually going to say, well, if that's if that's part of the game plan, one thing I will give uh, Cozzy his dues on is he very rarely loses a contest. Um, the vast majority of the time, he he doesn't win it, but he breaks even, and and that comes from his junior upbringing as a key defender. You can see that when he's out of position. He'll fight and scrap to not get beaten. And I think if your you know, forward setup at Richmond is sort of plays to that as a strength, then maybe he will be more valuable at the Tigers than he possibly was at the Hawks. Yeah, look, oh, thanks for that, guys. Look, keep up the good work and uh, hopefully um, get to see you guys at the footy one day. Absolutely. Thank you so much for jumping on, Trout. We appreciate it. And all the best, uh, for the Tigers next year, hopefully, uh, you know, play well in every game by the Hawthorne ones. Beautiful. That was Trout. Thank you, Trout. Um, I want to just jump to AJ and I want to ask you, AJ, were there any deals that you looked at in this trade period where you thought we uh, it was a massive overpay? Um, I actually, the only one I would argue was even an overpay at all was um, Massimo D'Ambrosio, which I, I think the second pick that got thrown in there was a bit silly, but also, you know, you do your price when you deal with Essendon, as we all know. I don't think there was any real overpays in any of it. I think we did a pretty, I think Mark did a pretty good job with all of those trades. As we said, we came away with 84 extra points. I think that's about the equivalent of pick 66 if you look at the draft index. So I don't think you could really argue we overpaid for anything. Anybody got a contrary opinion to that? Just on the Massimo one, I think it's important to note that um, I believe, you know, if we'd, if we'd walked him into the club for free as a um, delisted free agent, that effectively that would mean that when his um, contract is up in potentially two years' time, as a previously delisted free agent, uh, he would become a free agent again. So... Um, I think that's unrestricted too, isn't it, Prinzi? So, Correct. Um, so giving something of little value and and that future fourth, which will be a 60-ish pick as well to satisfy us and then just to be able to make sure there's an extra element of security, I think that's perfectly reasonable and um, also goes to, you know, the talks about Brocky walking um, goes to the, the notion that Ash always bangs on about the, these deals always get done. They always find out a way to um, try and smooth it out so that the next time it happens the other way around, um, similar sort of circumstances take place. Yeah, that's a fair point. I wasn't aware of that with um, the list of free agency. So thank you for that. I was yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point that WC makes. That control over a player's future or having a little bit more control over a player's future um, is worth paying a little bit more at the front end for. Like if you look at Frio, they've actually done really well out of the Lockie Schultz deal because next year, uh, Lockie Schultz could have picked any club he wanted to and could have walked to them as a delisted, as a previously delisted free agent, and he would have been um, able to just basically choose his club, and Frio would have had no say in holding him. And it's a it's a risk that Hawthorne run with Dylan Moore as well because they previously delisted and relisted him. Um, you know, the Hawks' hope would be obviously there that um, Moore is a passionate Hawthorne man, vice captain, and he'll never leave. But um, I think I think Weesey's spot on. I think there's a little bit 
um, it's worth paying that little bit extra in order to have a bit more control over that player's future. Uh, Smog, you've uh, jumped on to join us, mate. Um, we The floor is yours. Have your say. Howdy, guys. Yeah, just uh, wanted to say, uh, you know, good for having this space, actually, because uh, some of the craziness that's getting around on the TV and um, elsewhere is uh, is quite fun. I know that David King couldn't quite work out why we only had pick four and 44 in the draft and someone had to sort of chip in and remind him that we had a father-son that we needed to have bids for, so that was that was interesting. Um, but just on the, the Massimo... D'Ambrosio uh, trade. I believe the reason why we went down that path and why we were eager to sort of like get a trade done was because that North had already given his manager the, the the hot tip that they were going to take him in the preseason draft if he made it through to that. Um, and then there was always the risk that Dodo on his way out found a senior list spot for him and put him on there as well because uh, if he offered him a spot on the senior list, that means that uh, we could not take him as a delisted free agent. He would just automatically be placed on the senior list. So there was a reason why we sort of had to do the trade or, you know, like it it, it all played out like a... uh, I guess it was in good faith that we went down that path, but that's literally kind of why we went that way. So, yeah, and no, I appreciate that, uh, small guy. I hadn't heard of any North interests, but that doesn't mean it's not around. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Taking the risk out of it with some somebody like that who you know has committed to your club, I think from the Hawks' perspective, they can now go to sleep at night having no risk of losing out on a player who they've committed to and who committed to them. Weesey, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, there's also the element of doing the right thing by Massimo. Like, he's gone out, he's nominated us. You want to give him that extra element of closure as well and make him a Hawthorne player as soon as possible. And I think within, it must have been within five minutes or so, you know, he's got, he's changed his profile on social media to him in his Hawthorne jumper. So... You know, there's there's also that element of he's gone out of his way to nominate us. He wants to be at the club, respect the fact that we really didn't have to give much up to make it happen now instead of waiting another two weeks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the other one that was, you know, it was, it was bubbling along in the background and I think every single Hawthorne supporter was on board with it was the Bailey Smith talk. And whether that was going to eventuate, and I think multiple people came out and denied that there was anything going on with that. But I think now everyone has something to look forward to for 2024 because we've got you know 12 months to work out whether we're going to try and grab him from the dogs and whether Ben loses his job or what what happens. So that'll be an interesting watch for the next 12 months for sure. We are joined this evening by AFL.com.au reporter. And one of the most keyed in um, journalists around the Hawthorne Footy Club, outside of the Hawks Insiders, Josh Gavilich. Josh, thank you so much uh, for jumping on, mate. I know it's been a really busy day for you. Um, yeah, we, we're really grateful to have you, mate. Not a problem at all. Good to be with you. Just uh, I'm still inside AFL House, but a pretty crazy four, five, six hours. So I can't believe everything got done in the end, especially from a Hawthorne perspective. What a performance from Mark McKenzie in the end. 
Yeah, talk us through it because yesterday we came here and we, we've been doing a space sort of every night this this trade period uh, other than the weekends. And we said there's sort of six deals here that need to get done. Do we think he can actually pull it all off? That's that's a Herculean effort to do in one day, especially, you know, on the last day of trade period where tensions are heightened. Yeah, it's the right word to use. It felt like an inc- like a, almost too much to get done today in one day. But everything had been sort of bubbling away, apart from the Jack Inovan situation that sort of not quite came from nowhere, but came quite late in the piece. And even Jack Gunston, there was a, a sense, probably a week out that it was it was happening. So, But still, to get all six sorted the way it was, even Brandon Ryan to make that decision across the weekend and facilitate a trade for Jack Gunston in the end. It's an amazing amount of business that's done just, you know, essentially all in the one day. So, so many different layers to it. But I think four really good ins in the end. Disappointing to see Brandon Ryan depart but the deal was just too good from a Hawthorne perspective to say no to in the end for someone that was you know a, a mid-season pick only four or five months ago and has only played three games it made a lot of sense from a club perspective absolutely and I think it speaks to the fluidity of uh, list management and how you have to sort of go with what pops up at any given time doesn't it because you know like you said this time a week ago you know, potentially there's maybe an exploratory conversation with Jack Gunson, but there's nothing on the table. Brandon Ryan's staying for next year. He's got a contract. You know, Jack Ginnivan's not even an option. And then all of a sudden we fast forward a week and, you know, two of those guys are now at the Hawthorne Footy Club and one guy's out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable to think how it's all happened. I mean, they would have loved to have kept Brandon Ryan in the end, but it just made a lot of sense. And it allowed the Gunson and the Ginnivan and the child deals to be locked in in the end. I mean, the future second-round pick from Brisbane was just too good to refuse. Now, there was a number of other picks included, but that was the clincher, really. That really allowed it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, from your perspective, um, the Hawthorne trade period as a whole, um, how do you rate it? And what did you think, I guess, was, you know, the the best of the deals uh, that the Hawks were able to get done? Well, I really like the Marby Ochoa piece to it because they've clearly been looking for probably the best part of three to six months to find someone to play alongside Mitch Lewis going forward. Obviously, they had, they looked at Brand Ryan, Fergus Green and Jake Kaczynski at times across this year and none of them really grabbed that spot permanently, clearly. So, Marby Ochoa does fit that need. Jack Gunston coming back in is, is good. I mean, he's 32, can't forget the age, but I, I still think it's, it's going to provide a, a a fair bit of help going forward next year while I think Marby Child might take a bit of time to to transition back. And, and you know, they only played the eight AFL games this year. We, we kicked 44 goals last year, but just the eight AFL games this year. And Jack Kinnaman's clearly the big watch. I mean, he had such a good year last year, but I cover Collingwood really closely as well and just had so many issues this year in terms of betting down a role in Craig McRae's side. Bobby Hill clearly took that role. So I'm fascinated by Jack Kinnaman and, and time will tell how, how good that deal will be in the end but the four-year deal is what got that over the line other clubs didn't even entertain it so Hawthorne went pretty aggressive once this emerged uh only yesterday it would probably I mean they did speak to Jack Ginnivan about two or three months ago so it had sort of been in play in some way shape or form but yeah the Ginnivan one's going to be the one we're going to be talking about a lot next year yeah I want to ask you um Josh and thanks for joining us uh, on a scale of one to ten, how how truthful are the Hawks in terms of saying this all happened very quickly with both Gunston and Ginnivan? 
mail I heard from talking to people today was that they've both been in train for a considerable period. Hello, Ash. Yes. Uh, the Gibbon one, they definitely had a conversation, I reckon, say, two to three months ago, just to, just to see if it was going to be a possibility. And then things did move quick recently. So they, there was already that initial interest in him. And, and Gunson's clearly remained in contact with key figures at the club. But it was put to me last week that he hadn't had any official word with the club until Friday. So, it, it yeah, they're just, it just shows the fluidity of, of, of a trade period that things can pop up late and you just need to be agile so that you can land them. Now, I don't think they would have been done without Marby or Chole being locked in because of their long-term commitment. They committed to him four to six weeks ago. They beat Adelaide. They beat North Melbourne. Even Brisbane had some interest in him. They beat a lot of clubs to get him and they committed to him. So they couldn't have done Gunston without doing Chole. Brad, did you want to ask a question? Yes, Josh. Thank you for joining us. Looking ahead... Harley Reid, pick one. Give us an off. Is it is it a chance? Is it 1% chance? I read earlier, I think, was it Sammy Landsberger said the Hawks are still keen to try and get pick one. Do you think there is even just that 1% chance the Hawks will try and package something up? You couldn't completely rule it out. We had Rob McCartney on Trade Radio last week and we asked him about this. They've had a nibble already at a trying to prize it out of West Coast. I just think that North Melbourne is in such a good position that if, if West Coast are to trade it between now and November 20, North Melbourne are just in such a good position. Melbourne is still in a great spot with 6 and 11. So I just think, I think Hawthorne are too far down the pecking order. Even even if you look at Adelaide with 10, 14 and 20 as it sits, they're still in a really good spot. So I think it's incredibly unlikely uh, that, that Hawthorne get there in the end. Mick? Thanks, Josh. Just going back to Ginevan, you know, I heard Graham Wright today say you know, he wasn't aware of an actual trade until 1.30 yesterday. How much of it was Collingwood prepared to let, not wanting to deal with him anymore? You know, a la, say, Jaden Stevens. That's been my sort of personal interpretation of their willingness. Because when you look at the trade, it's not a significantly expensive one. No, it's a fascinating question. I mean, there's a little bit of grey here. The Ginevan camp think that, that, that Ginevan has been pushed out the door. Where Collingwood believe that he has been exploring his options in the past little while, even before the Lockie Schultz situation. He did go to Bali and, and spend a lot of that time in the past week contemplating his future once Lockie Schultz had nominated and requested a move to Collingwood. I mean, I think his position... I mean, just like this year, it's been up for grabs all year with... This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. The emergence of, of Bobby Hill. So uh, I, I think we're going to learn a bit more about this in the coming days and weeks. I can't wait to hear Jack Inevan speak for the first time and, and get a bit of an understanding into what the last 24, 48 hours have been like and, and how it got to this in the end because it's caught a lot of Collingwood, Collingwood supporters are devastated. He's such a fan favourite of that club, even though he barely played many games this year. It was the sub, I think, four or five times. Obviously, a premiership player, and they could never take that off him. But, yeah, there's there's so much more to know that we don't know just yet. But there are there are two sides to this story, and, and, and there's some conflicting views from the Ginevan camp and from Collingwood's perspective. And if I can, just on Brandon Ryan, like, he effectively played two and a half games for us. He got subbed out in one game. 
and he was suspended when he came across from the Bull End. So for Box Hill, he barely played. How does that get to a second-round pick for the Brisbane? Is that because of Fullerton and they were short? They were that worried? Yeah, they definitely were. They, If they knew that Jack Gunston was preparing to request a trade, Tom Fullerton would have likely remained at Brisbane. So they didn't want to go into next season being too short. And Dom Ambrosio, their list boss, spoke about an hour ago. And he, he said that Shane Rogers, who's their head of pro scouting, has been a has been tracking Brandon Ryan for some time and was huge on him. So he was influential in in, in that deal. And three years is is quite extraordinary when you think he's only played three games and was on a VFL list in May. It's, it's a huge turnaround for him, given he only got the one-year extension at Hawthorne. So it does make a great deal of sense. It's one of those win-win trades that we've seen a few of them across this period. Well, we in, in the end, we effectively turned Ryan into Chol and Gunston, and, and Chol's only 10 months older and is, is far more proven. But, Josh, I wanted to ask... It feels like, I mean, other than Massimo, we got all of our stuff done with half an hour to spare. And um, other than the Zerk-Thatcher deal, it feels like there was less um, less final minute mayhem than there usually is this trade period. Yeah, it's a good point. It was noted in the in the trade room. You think back to last year and the Tom Mitchell, Ollie Henry, Cooper Stevens deal went down with three minutes to go. Josh Dunkley, Rory Lobb, Jay Gramira was the last one that got done last year as the deadline closed for Lloyd with the Lloyd Meek exchange. It didn't have as much drama. I mean, the Xavier Dersmer, Brandon Zerk Thatcher one was was the drama at the death, but so was the Massimo D'Ambrosio because it emerged quite late that the future fourth was offered and and. Essendon deliberated for some time. It was 63 and a, and a future fourth. It ends up becoming 61 and a future fourth. I mean, it's funny because a lot of these picks don't get used, used especially that, that 61 and 62 and 63 won't be used in this year's draft. It will be for points. But, yeah, it's it's fascinating how it, it sort of played out in the end. But that was the last deal that got done. And the threat was real that he could have walked, essentially, to Hawthorne as a delisted free agent because of a bit of a quirk in the rookie rules. Two things on that, Josh. Did I? You might, I might have misheard this on the last little bit of trade radio, but did um, the door I say something to the extent of basically they're not even going to use the pick that Hawthorne offered up in their current draft plans? And also from all the trades that you covered, not just with the Hawthorne hat on, but which one really stands out to you the most as the one that really. I guess it's the bit of the game changer through the draft period or through the trade period. Yeah, I didn't hear Adrian Dodoro speak. I did see him sort of doing his media post trade deadline tonight, but I don't like I don't think the draft goes past fifty four, fifty five in that sort of range this year from everything we've been told at the moment. So sixty one won't even be used. It's just uh, it's one of those quirks that list managers sort of uh, fight over at this time of year. In terms of instant impacts out of this window. I mean, I really do like the Lockie Schultz deal from a Collingwood perspective. I know they paid a lot to get him in. I also really like the, the Jack Billings in terms of value for money to get him for a future third-round pick at 28. I still think he's got quite a bit to offer. Um, I think Sydney are the big winners in terms of getting Brody Grundy and Taylor Adams in the door, some protection down back with Joel Hamling and and James Jordan as a free agent. So, yeah, there's some of the deals I like. I mean, I've got, I probably need a... A, a night to sleep on it and really think about it. But yeah, there's some of the other deals that I've liked so far. 
probably just need a straight up night to sleep, Josh. That'd be fair to say, right? After the work you guys have put in this last week. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of sort of covering incremental changes in deals, which I think is actually a little bit boring to be honest. But I do like it. There's so much changes uh, from week to week, day to day, hour to hour during the trade period. So I, I'm I'm one of those people. I really I don't have an issue with the length of it, and I like that we sort of go from grand final day to trade radio starting the next Monday. There's always something to talk about, as we've seen this year with Lockie Schultz and Taylor Adams and, and Jack Inevin, the other bombshell quite late. Absolutely. We've got a couple more and we'll let you go. Dan Sheriff has jumped on. You'd like to ask a question, Dan? Just take yourself off mute. Hey, guys. Big day. I found myself glued to trade radio all day. Um, with the Chole one, oh, it's interesting being at his third club at such a young age. I found myself looking back through three club players over the years and who may have gone on to have a really good career. The only ones that stood out were Terry Wallace, Barry Mitchell and, funnily enough, Tom Mitchell all went on to have, you know, quite good careers. So I'm, I've, even though he kicked 44 goals last year, I'm sort of sitting on the fence with Joel. Um, I think Ginevan's an awesome pickup. I'm really excited what he can do. Um, Massimo, that'll be an interesting one. We've only sort of seen glimpses of him. Um, what I really wanted to ask everyone's opinion on, we still definitely feel short on a key back. Is that through the trades to come, um, McCabe and Deer, they're, they're obviously a bit green. Do we have a chance at a key back anywhere before the season starts? Uh, Dan, it's a really good question. It's probably um, one we'll look at a little bit after Josh sort of leaves. We might um, get him out of here in a minute and then we can uh, break that down. Small, you had one question, I think, for Josh and then uh, Ash will wrap up. Yeah, Josh, uh, appreciate everything you do for the uh, AFL site and all the articles that you drop because they're always great. Uh, Just a question that you might know an answer to. Just, I'm not sure whether you speak directly to Cal, but he probably has a, a good understanding of this. But our interest in Deer, because uh, I know we obviously have interest in McCabe, uh, but Deer is a bit of a smoky, and I know that Essen have met with him a couple of times, and the Giants have shown some interest as well. They've met with him as well. Uh, Hawthorne have been very, very good at keeping their cards close to their chest on their interest in Deer. Um, and I think Prior to probably the first half of the season, they probably thought that he was maybe a rookie chance. But is there anything that you've heard on on where he would possibly sit within the draft? It's still a, a bit of a wait and see. I, I did see Mark McKenzie as I was as he was leaving, and I did ask him about these two. He did say on the on trade radio this this evening that that Will McCabe hasn't officially nominated Hawthorne just yet. We saw Jordan Croft do that. Last week, he was a bit unclear on exactly where these two sit. I think he was being hazy deliberately, but I, I think we'll get a much better picture now that we get through the trade period and we sort of collate all the picks and what it's all going to mean. So I feel like I'm avoiding your question, but I, it still feels a little bit unclear. I, I, I'm not. It's, it had always been put to me that he was the deer was a, a, a rookie, but I feel like that may have sort of improved in the back end of the year. But having said that, list spots are very. Very tight. So, yeah, time will tell on that one. Yep. Josh, just a couple to finish up. Um, does the spectre of Bailey Smith now hang over 
gettable and all those trade talks for the next 12 months? Yeah, it's a good question, Ash. I don't think uh, the name Bally Smith is going away. I don't think this was ever real in this trade period, although the name never really went away, no matter what uh, Paul Connor said or even Bailey Smith at different times. It was just one of those ones that never went away. But, yeah, that'd be one we'll be following all next year, I reckon, until he signals his intentions because he's out of contract. Yeah, no, it's pretty clear. I think the Hawks are desperate to get him and I think they'll be working very hard to convince him to move to Hawthorne next year. And my understanding is there's already mutual interest, but there'll be other clubs to do as well. It's, it's going to be fascinating watch for next year. This last one, something I put on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter earlier, Josh. Collingwood Hawthorne would seem to be a fairly uh, tasty matchup next year. Hawthorne have been, and deservedly so, banished to one ten Sundays and what have you. Do you think that's got that stack up as a prime time game next year, Collingwood v Hawthorne? Well, when you add Jack Inevin into the mix, Ash, it does feel like it'll get a bit more respect than a one ten Sunday slot. So hopefully it's got Friday night or even a Thursday night written all over it. I think we'll find out probably in the next week or two exactly where that fixture lands. They are working on it upstairs as of last week and this week. So Hopefully a primetime slot. Yeah, they they wait till the, the one of their key determinants for the fixture is the trade period because they look at some matchups that they think will work in prime time. And I, you just think that uh, there's already a bit of interest in Collingwood Hawthorne given the events of this year and up until now. But I would have thought that uh, Ginevan just tips it over the edge a bit, and the thought of you know Ginevan getting a head high free kick early on it <laughs> game against Collingwood would be unbelievable. Finn McGuinness, so. Nick Dacos matchup. <laughs> That's right, and even Mitchell after what he had to say. So I think it's a good chat. I mean, I, I you know, Hawthorne probably. I think Hawthorne probably ready for one. You know, to be dip their toe back into prime time next year, one or two games. Given they've got a lot of, you know, between Thursdays and Fridays, they've actually got a lot of games to fill. So hopefully they get one. Josh, uh, thank you. And I, I know, I know what a, a excruciating long day it is. It's a fun day, but also a bloody long day. So we really do appreciate you giving us a bit of your time, uh, your work on Hawthorne. You're covered Hawthorne as first class. Um, and not too many that we will say that about in the in the mainstream media, but you're right up there. So we thank you and uh, look forward to following your stuff ongoingly and we hope we'll have you back uh, some stage before next season. No dramas, Ash. Appreciate the kind words and any time. Happy to chat. Thanks, Josh, for joining us. That was Josh Gabalish, one of the best, as Ash mentioned. So we appreciate him jumping on and giving us his time after Ash said it was a massive day for all involved including the the guys from uh, the AFL media and Josh does a fantastic job so if you don't already follow him jump on and give him a follow on uh, Twitter he is definitely worth it um, we- Danny Swampy has a stat you know I love these obscure stats that he rolls out VFL AFL players in a three year span to play at a club then watch their new club in a grand final and then return to their club the next year Tim Watson and Jack Gunston. That is... After Tim Watson weirdly drafted the West Coast in 1992. That is as obscure as you're going to get, I reckon. That's, uh, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Uh, I want to also jump in and say that Jeff Raines and Philip Walsh were two very good three-club players. Okay. Who was... Um, who was, uh, was it Lee Adams who played at Fremantle North and then won a premiership at... Not Lee Adams. And then won a premiership at Collingwood as well. Lee Brown, thank you. Lee man. Brown. It'd be another one. So there's a few. I mean, if you take the time to go through it, there's actually there's actually quite a few. So, um, but uh, yeah, there are a few that come to. Actually, you're going to put a team out, a best twenty-two of uh, three club players. Uh, 
not unless they had played for Hawthorne okay. at some stage. I don't think I have the, <laughs> the knowledge or the interest to fill a, a team of, of uh, a full team of 22. Uh, Stuart, yeah, thank you for requesting to speak, mate. Uh, what can we, how can we help you? Uh, uh, thanks, guys. Um, having Jack Gunson come back to the t- uh, back screams that they, they want to use him for, uh, for coaching and education, really, at the club of the younger players. Does that not say that Kel Shadir is coming? Because he's not giving a, uh, uh, he's not going to give it to the smaller forwards because we've got Bruce. So there's, there's got to be a reason um, they're having him back out, other than um, uh, out of emotion. Yeah, look, I think a bigger picture thing than just an individual player that he's going to mentor or anything like that. I think. Uh, it's mul- it's multiple. I'm actually really bullish on on Jack Gunson's ability to get back onto the field next year. Um, you know, everyone talked about his body being cooked this year. He still played 17 games. If he's able to get a decent preseason into him, even at 32, 32 is not super old. Um, you know, he he I think he'll play 15 plus games, and I think he'll look really good. I think um, you know his ability to give leadership across the forward line in general and across the playing list in general. What we have to understand is Hawthorne had this year the youngest playing list in the AFL. Um, so being able to add in a player that they were desperate to keep when he left uh, at the end of last year's trade uh, trade period to, to the Lions, they, the Hawks didn't want to lose him at that time. So being able to bring him back and being able to reintegrate him with this team and being able to say, you know, Jack, your experience, your knowledge, your uh, your leadership, your um, understanding of what our culture is and what we want it to be. I think that's beneficial to the whole list and to all the young players. And I think the one comment that I'd put on is this trade period is that I don't necessarily expect Jack Ginevan, Mabio Chol and Massimo D'Ambrosio and um, Jack Gunson to be the ones that really inject that level um, to bring our, our level of quality of on-field performance up substantially next year. I think the real growth that we get are from our younger players. So if we can tip into those younger players, um, I think that that's where we'll see a lot of value from Gunston across the board. So whether that's a key forward like, you know, Cal Shadir if he's on the list, or whether it's Connor McDonald, Cam McKenzie, Josh Ward, and those guys who are just ready to take that next step, I think that's where we'll see a lot of the value from Jack Gunston we see. Yeah, I think as well, I don't think it's going to change much for, of, of the um, on-field age demographic. We're clearly still going to be one of, if not the youngest team, because if you just look holistically at Chol for Ryan, age straight swap, Ginevan for Brockman, age straight swap, Chad's not playing, but Gunston might get a game. So it, it's pretty much what the couple of years... Um, yeah, and we were significantly the youngest team. I, I think North getting rid of Cunnington and Goldstein and Zebel and McKay and there's a chance that they will drop. But we're clearly going to be still in that bottom level age bracket. So adding him in with the experience and the leadership and, and what he's going to do from a coaching point of view, um, how can that actually be a bad thing at the moment? Absolutely. I think I think what you're going to see, guys, is that he, um, um, he's going to look a whole lot better coming back playing for Hawthorne than he would than he did in his gap year at Brisbane um, because he knows the system. He had to learn it up there. So um, 
he's been over 10 years with us, so he'll know uh, he'll be able to fit in very, very easily, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's the hope. Mick, did you want to add something to that? I was just going to say, if he gets three shots at goal, I'm pretty confident he'll kick two goals, one. Yeah, and if you compare that to Kazitsky and and others we tried in the forward line this year, you know, you get three shots at goal, you'd be lucky if it's one goal, two. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a really valid point, too, in terms of our efficiency in front of goal. That's... uh, Pretty important, so it's a good shout there, Mick. Um, Brad, I want to ask you, where does this leave, this trade period, where does this leave our um, our list? Um, do you see any major holes? And where does this leave our starting 22? Which of these players come into it straight away? It's a very good question, Prinzi. Others may disagree. I've been pretty upfront with where I think our list is at. I don't think we're going to be playing finals until at least 2025. I think some believe we're a chance next year. I think it's like literally a 1% chance. Uh, it's not to say that a list is, is in bad shape. I just think, as you mentioned, still very young. I think the plays that are coming in, Charles a lock for the 22. Uh, Ginnivan's obviously a lock as well. I think Jack Gunston's an interesting one. I agree with Quincy. I think he'll play 13-plus games next year. Uh, D'Ambrosio is the other one. I don't think he'll play in our side round one. I'm going to be writing an article on what I think our best 22 will be round one and for the season. I've put my initial thoughts up on Twitter. Again, it generates a heap of uh, discussion, but I still think there's a lot of uh, question marks. I think we're still one key position defender short, which is why we were all in on Ben uh, McKay. A lot of supporters are happy we didn't pay what we, you know, pay the salary for him, but make no uh, mistake. Sam Mitchell was talking to Ben early, early on in this season. They were desperate to bring him in, and I know that for a fact, so they were really disappointed to miss out on him. Uh, I think we are still... I think Chol will be a decent key forward. Um, we got to give him a crack. Uh, the small forward, Ginevin's good, but as I mentioned before, we still lack a high-pressure small forward. Ginevin's stats historically, he averages, I think, just over one uh, tackle a game. Luke Bruce is not a big tackler. Uh, Dylan Moore can do it, but I still think we lack that position. I think on paper, our list has potential to be a final side come 2025. But in order to challenge for the top four, we still need more high-end talent, which is why I believe Bailey Smith coming to the side, hopefully at the end of next year, will be a big in. And we probably still need another quality key position defender. Denver Granger Barras, in my opinion, will not be that player for us. I think he'll be playing as a forward next season, but I think he's got to fight to keep his spot on the list because I think um, it's either him or Jack Gunston playing um, that you know third uh, forward role next year. So it's an interesting one. Um, I do think our list is in really good shape looking ahead to the future, but again, I still think we're at least three years off from challenging for a top four to six spot. AJ, uh, on the back of uh, Brad's is our list in a better or worse position post-trade period than it was pre-trade period? Better for me. Um, I think we've talked about this a couple of times that if you look at the ins and outs on the like-for-like basis, I think every single player that we brought in Compared to our losses, we got better in some way. The, 
I, I tend to agree with what Brad's saying, though, is that there is still maybe that tiny little gap in top-end talent, and we're looking at players to make that jump up to being, you know, the B-grade, the C-grade players going up to being a B-grade player or another B-grade becoming an elite player. You still need those jumps to be made. But I do agree. I think everywhere that we tried to improve during the trade period, we did improve. So, yeah, I think our list's in a much better position. Now, a question from Weesey to which I'm going to ask you again, AJ, is D'Ambrosio, is he the end of Harry Morrison as we know him? Oh, you love throwing the personal ones at me, don't you, Danny? Sorry. Um, no, he's not. Um, but it is absolutely a show-me season for Harry. We, I don't want him to get into a position like Tim O'Brien where he's contract year Tim and produces his best football when he's got a year on the line. But I even thought in the back half of the season, Harry showed a lot. That game against Collingwood, I thought he was really, really good. So he has his work cut out for him, absolutely. But we talked about this last night. Competition is a good thing on a football list. Having multiple guys who can play in a position and saying, all right, well, you want to be the guy in the best 22? Show me. I think that's a really good thing. So big contract year coming up for Harry. Ash, you wanted to make a comment about Jack Ginnivan. Yes, yeah, so I'm just looking at the uh, AFL record season guide. We have a listing for the Anzac medalists. Ginnivan won in 2022, and it's such a big game. The, the list of players who generally win Anzac medals have gone on to have or have, ha- have had or still having great careers. He's in the same company as players like uh, well, Darcy Parrish won it. I can't remember who won it this year, but it was Darcy Parrish in 21. Penelope Trelord, Danaher, Sidebottom, Seedsman, Swan, Zaharaka, Swan, Penelope, Pendlebury, Ryder, Heathstraw won it, James Hurd won it twice. Um, he won it three times, actually. If you look at the list of Antac medalists, it's such a big game. He was the best on ground as an 18-year-old or whatever he was, 19-year-old on Anzac Day. The guy can handle big occasions. Big occasions don't aren't going to mess with him. Now, you know, that, that's, Anzac Day is a bigger occasion than any – he's going to get Hawthorne. The closest thing remotely will be uh, Easter Monday against the Cats. But we should think about – this is a player. He will play well in big games. And over time, Hawthorne are going to play more and more of these big games. So I think he's a big occasion play. He plays with that cheeky green. He's got that sense of theatre. I, I, think, I, I think he'll be good for Hawthorne in that respect. Mark McGoughlin, a um... – yeah, I was going to bring up Mark McGowan. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of darts, but by and large, they're good players. But the other thing is, he finished fourth gonna... in the Rising Star vote. Oh, that's year. exactly what I was about to say. Nick Dacos, Sam DeConning, Jai Newcomb, Jack Ginnivan, fourth in the Rising Star. Speaking of Dacos, was it Dacos who won it this year? The um, Anzac medal? Yeah, I think it was. He won everything. Yeah. Except the best and fairest at, at, at the Pies. Didn't win that. His and brother Yeah. Yeah. A Dacus won it. Um, there's, a, there's a stack of questions that I want to get to as well, gentlemen. So I'm going to throw a few of those over to you guys. Um, questions and comments. Uh, Dan Sheriff says, if I was Sammy, I'd say to Ginevan, wherever Punky goes, you go. His talent learning Punky's work ethic will be unbelievable. Um, you would assume... Bradley, that that would be the absolute default setting as soon as he steps in the door at the hole. 100%. We touched on it last night. I think having Luke Bruce will be brilliant for uh, Jack. Uh, he needs to mirror his game, learn from him. 
do everything he can. I reckon they'll be a great uh, combination uh, to watch. Punky, uh, we know he's been one of the best, if not the best, small forward for a long time. Uh, Ginevan, there's no reason why he can't follow in Luke Bruce's footsteps. So absolutely needs to shadow him at training as well. Absolutely. Um, we see Gunston. Uh, Doc Mansell says uh, Gunston also has an important role of dropping back into defence to help our back line when the opposition get on a five-goal-plus roll. He can help arrest that momentum. And that's an issue that we face this year, we see. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, I mean, it's true. It's valid. I think earlier in our group, I joked about uh, maybe we're bringing him in to be that extra tall defender. Um, but... Uh, the reality is I, I don't think we need to worry, like, like get too bogged down on strategy for Jack Gunston. Just get fit, get on the field, play his role as a forward. And, uh, yeah, if, if it develops into, I mean, we've seen him do that really, really well, drop in when needed. If that, that happens, great. But uh, I think it's... Let's just get him on the park fit and playing up forward. Ash, there's a number of uh, comments in the chat around expected wins total and what development looks like with this group that we now have between now, this year and next year. What does that look like for you? Uh, I think that um, they they should aim for 10 wins, I think, with the team. I mean, I agree um, with... There's been a bit of commentary. I know there's some commentary from one of the people said here that uh, we actually brought in a bunch of fringe players. So how's that going to translate to make Hawthorne a better team? I'm not, but I'm of the school. The improvement will come from within. Um, and Brad's favourite subject and my second favourite subject is the durability of Mitch Lewis. Lewis plays 18 to, Lewis plays 20 games. Hawthorne win more games than they did this year. Um, the improvement will come from the young players, uh, but there's, but these players that brought in, in most cases, will really help. The player that we haven't discussed much is um, is Mass- We're talking about Massimo is um, is uh, CJ as well. I mean, the forgotten player of Hawthorne. I'll be fascinated to see whether he's in Brad's best uh, twenty-two when he publishes. Don't say anything, Brad. I want you to save it for your article. But uh, CJ is one we all forget. And, um, you know, Will Day, when he spoke to us a few weeks ago, he said, said he's absolute walk-up start in his best 22. So, you know, if, if, if CJ makes his way into, into Hawthorne's best 22 based on the list of looks at the moment, it's a reasonably decent team. Brad? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, CJ's an interesting one. He's similar to Scrimshaw. I think he's the type of player that half our supporters think is a lock in the best 22. The other half think he's not uh, good enough. So... It's an interesting one. I know Sam loves him. So I remember Sam uh, interviewed a few times, uh, hearing him talk. He's of the belief that if CJ is 100% fit, he's in our best side. So where he plays is going to be the interesting one because I think he struggled as a defender when he played the last couple of years. So can he play as a wing? I think we mentioned can he play as a forward? But... I think he will be in the best 22 if he has a full preseason. Who's a better player, D'Ambrosio or uh, CJ? Oh, it's a hard one. I think, are they different? I think D'Ambrosio is going to be brought into play as a, as to play as a winger or a forward rather than a defender. So um, I think we could see both of them play in the side. Um, CJ down back or wing 
and D'Ambrosio as a half forward. I think Sam Mitchell loves players that have really good uh, disposal, and D'Ambrosio is definitely that type of player. So it's going to be an interesting one, Ash. But at the moment now, I reckon both of them are on uh, level pass, which is going to be good because it's going to come down to how they perform in the preseason. And the player we thought took his spot was uh, Seamus Mitchell. So there's competition for spots. Oh, absolutely. I that's going to drive, that's going to drive the, pre- the preseason. going to be fascinating. Absolutely. The competition and I think we'll, for spots is going to be yeah. really, really fierce. Yeah, it's brilliant. And we said last year, even like last year, we thought at the start of the year, it was, you know, the first time in a couple of years where the depth was really, really strong. And I think it's gone up at another level. We saw Box Hill made the prelim final. There was quality players playing every week at Box Hill who could have been playing seniors. And it's going to be even, you know, uh, there'll be even better players uh, playing for Box Hill again. Cam uh, McKenzie is another one who at the moment, I can't fit him in my best 22, but I think he needs to be playing every week. So it's going to be interesting to see. We see you're a known uh, CJ hater. Um, who plays Massimo or CJ? Uh, haters. Haters a bit, bit strong. Um, I, I am on board with the fact that he's clearly got so much untapped raw talent. It is more that um, that I don't think we've seen the best of him consistently enough for me to be all on board the CJ train. I know what he gives... Um, from a cultural point of view, I know what he gives from a kids loving who CJ is and what he brings. I know what he gives as a raw athlete. I just haven't seen enough as a pure footballer. So um, I personally think that if I was picking the team right now, um, based on how everything finished last season and who we've brought in, neither of them would be in the starting 23 However, or 22. However, I think that if he's fit, um, based on everything we've heard from the powers that be, as as Brad pointed out, what Sammy's had to say, as Ash pointed out, what Will Day's had to say, I've got no doubt that if he's fit and has a full preseason, he starts round one. It's just a matter of whether he can piece it together. And if he can do that for a couple of seasons, I'll absolutely be on board. But, uh, yeah, I think um, Massimo will need to do a fair sort of stint for Box Hill before he earns senior selection based on that depth that Ash was talking about. Yeah, before we move on from CJ, for what it's worth, I'm a big CJ believer. I, I, I'm I'm with Will Day. I think he'll be in our starting 22 come round one next year. So I think that's one to watch over preseason. And if he has a good preseason, then uh, then look out. I think the biggest thing that held him back this year, with I think he's too explosive for his body to handle. So Peter Burge getting a hold of him over this preseason and being allowing him to build himself up properly to set himself up for the year will be the key there. Now, I want to ask, before we wrap it up, um, there was a lot of social media outrage around Mark McKenzie uh, at the end of last year's trade period, throughout this year's trade period. After that last day's worth of work, Ash, do Skeptical Hawk fans owe Mark McKenzie an apology? Um. No, because trade periods, when the greatest waste of space you will see in the next 12 to 24 hours are the trading, is the draft, the or the trade grades. 
So I'm holding. All, I mean, I, an impressive piece of work. He did very well. To, he had all. He had six deals. As I said when I came on, he was a complex jigsaw puzzle. He completed all the pieces. So I give him credit for that. Whether they were the right moves remains to be seen. So let's give it twelve to twenty-four months. You know what we should do. In fact, what we probably will do in um, over the next few weeks on our spaces, given a few more quiet weeks coming up, we'll review previous trade periods. We'll go through. Last five trade periods, they're all here in the AFL season guide. We can pick, work out and we'll give Hawthorne the draft grade going back a few years. And that would be a fun exercise to do. So I'm not prepared to say how great his work was other than to commend him for getting all the business that needed to be done tonight. Um, but, you know, I've always said about Hawthorne, and we say going back a while given the success they've had in with players such as Warple and Morrison and Sicily and others that they've plucked from the depths of the draft Talent identification in Hawthorne has never been a problem. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point to make out because um, that, I think that's exactly where Mackenzie shines is that talent identification piece. see did you want to come into bat for for Mark Mackenzie? Yeah, I mean, I actually just think, and again, through the last week, I've been very open about having confidence that all of the deals would get done because outside of Ginevan, which ended up being um, a, a low-tier deal in the overall scheme of things, like they were all low-key, low-tier deals, right? Like I feel like more of a test will come when, okay, Bailey Smith says he wants to come to Hawthorne and we say we want him and then we're talking about serious negotiations because at the end of the day we're talking about having to give up an extra fourth rounder or, you know, like like where Cozzy slid to, you know, we all knew we wouldn't get a top 25 pick for him or whatever. That was going to be about right anyway. And, and we're talking about Cozzy and a, a pick 50, a pick 49. So, uh, like, oh, I don't know. It was always going to get done and he had to do it. So, so well done. Um, let's see over the next couple of years when we've got some big names wanting to come and there is going to need to be some serious juggling how he goes then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before we jump on to Mick, uh, AJ, you had something you want to say as well? I think um, like how we look at a trade period and say, so well, you don't look at the individual deal, you look at the sum of the deals, at the sum of the picks. I think you look at this off-season in its whole sphere, you don't just look at the trade period, you look at the draft night as well. So like last year, McKenzie copped a little bit of heat, but when you look at it a year removed, he moved out two players who, as much as we love Jager and Titch, they were holding up development of the players. And then on draft night, he swung the trade for Josh Weddle, which turned out to be a master stroke. And so you'd look back at that and say, that was a really good, really good off season. So I think we need to be, as Ash said, you see trade grades and stuff like that. They're a waste of time for now, but then you can look back after the draft or even in a year's time with how the draft picks go and say, okay, well, what was the overall sum of our off-season and what does that look like as opposed to just what 10 days look like? Don't forget, Fox Sports last year graded Hawthorne's draft. Not the trade, the draft is a D plus. Yeah, and that uh, speaks absolutely to the core of why those rating things are atrocious because they get people who don't even know about the young blokes to rate them. Uh, it's a little bit like getting Josh Jenkins on Trade Radio to talk about Hawthorne's list composition. Um, don't get somebody that doesn't watch the people you're speaking about to comment on the people you're speaking about. Mick, 
you want to follow up on yeah, that? Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's not where they're picked, it's how they play. That's the, that's the starting point. But from a trade perspective, when you start with 330 and 49 and convert that into what was converted today, like to turn Brandon Ryan into a second round pick, you know, that that's manna from heaven, so to speak. You know, that deal's not going to happen again. Now, that's as much on lines as it is on us. But to have that player there ready to go, um, it, they have to be given credit for that. And just on, you know, the 12 month period, it, there'd be two blokes sitting on the list now who'd be thinking back 12 months and thinking, did I make the right decision? And that'd be Meek and Stevens. You know, their positions are really, you know, I don't know how how they play out the year, so to speak. The one advantage for Meek is Ruckman will carry weight in the trade going forward. Stevens will be a different kettle of fish altogether. Um, but, you know, the Chole pick is a strategic pick from a structural perspective to give us a second tool in the forward line that can give Reeves a chop out for five minutes each quarter. Um, and if he can yeah. if he can kick you know, one or two goals a game, perfect. Yeah, I think I think that's a really underrated part of, of like the trade period and the troll deal in particular is we, we have a legitimate second tall forward now who can play that five minutes in the ruck and I I don't think that that can be um, understated or underestimated just how important that is because obviously that's where we see Ramsden or who we see Ramsden becoming. But I think it was really clear from games that he played at AFL level or also just games where he was a little bit inconsistent from game to game at VFL level. He's he's a, at least a year away um, in terms of being able to contribute consistently in that role, which is a really important role at AFL level. So being able to get a 26, 27-year-old um, key forward, 200 centimetres, can legitimately play ruck and not, um, you know, uh, Jacob Kaczynski play in the ruck where it's like you put put it, mark it down as a loss. Um, but, you know, Chol can actually move around the ground really well and get involved. I think that allows Reeves to go and be the best type of Ruckman he can. And it stops that stupid log jam of playing two number one Ruckman in the same team, just because you have to. So um, yeah, it, I think, I think, uh, I think Brad, the, the Lloyd Meek situation will be really interesting to watch. And, uh, and you've touched on a few times that Cooper Stevens could be out of this club in, in 12 months time and, and potentially could even be out of the league. Oh, absolutely. I spoke on it early uh, last season. Um, those two players, Meek and Stevens, who we bought in, I thought Meek would be our number one. Ned Reeves has definitely got that spot. Uh, Meek will only play if Reeves gets uh, injured. So, um, But as uh, Mick touched on, I think, yeah, it's always important to have quality depth in the ruck, especially um, with how raw our guys are. You know, we've got uh, Ramsden coming through. There's the other one um, whose name I can't really think of, who's also coming through. He'll be playing a box heel. Cooper Stevens Tucker. won't, yeah, Tucker. Cooper Stevens won't be on our list at the end of uh, next year. He's only contracted for one more year, and um, our midfield is by far the strongest part of our team. It's likely we'll bring in hopefully Zane Dersma as well. He'll probably start as a forward, but will eventually go in the midfield. Connor McDonald still got to go in the midfield. Josh Ward will hopefully play more in the midfield uh, this year. Uh, Cam uh, McKenzie's coming through. Henry Husswade came through the back end of last year and looked like a quality player. Uh, Warple, Nash, Newcomb, Day. 
Our midfield's really strong at the moment. So unfortunately for Cooper Stevens, I thought, and I think the club would have expected him to be playing over the likes of probably Warple and uh, Nash as well. But Warple and Nash, top five in the best and fairest, both had quality years and will look to even go to um, another level next year and uh, beyond. So, yeah, Stevens, in my uh, opinion, will not be on our list uh, come 2025. A really quirky uh, little uh, tidbit from Josh Kazar in the chat. Uh, the journey of pick 47 uh, started off at the Hawks. This year's 47 last year. It was traded to Sydney as part of the Weddell trade. Sydney then traded it to Melbourne as part of the Grundy trade. Melbourne then traded it to the Lions as part of the Fullerton trade. And then the Lions traded it back to the Hawks as part of the Gunston uh, and Ryan trade. So that, that pick literally went around the country over the past 12 months and ended back uh, back at home at the Hawks. So um, I kind of love that. I think that's uh, that, that's pretty great. Unless there's anything else to chat about this evening, I think we will wrap it up there. We've been going for an hour and 20 minutes. My voice is absolutely cooked. I'm sure you're sick of hearing it. Um, but we want to say a massive thank you to all of our co-hosts. Thank you to Andrew Weiss, Ashley Brown, Brad Klebanski, to Andrew Johnston, to Mick Cowan, to Smorg, and to everybody else that asked questions this evening. Um, gentlemen, thank you for contributing and making this space uh, as good as it was. And thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, we had near on, nudging on 200 people in this space at, at certain points over the evening. Um, and that is just the incredible from uh, Hawks Insider's perspective. Um, we we really appreciate all of your love and support. If you would like to subscribe to see uh, a post-trade um, wrap-up um, and all of the articles we've got coming over the off-season, it might be off-season for the Hawks. It's definitely off-season for the Hawks Insiders. We will be going full tilt. Um, you can do that through our Substack, $5 a month, $50 a year, um, we really appreciate all of our um, paid subscribers and our free subscribers, but de- especially those paid subscribers. We've got a few um, really exciting things lined up for 2024, including some opportunities um, to get a little bit closer again um, to the Hawks Insiders and you know keep your eyes and ears peeled for that one. Uh, if uh, Yeah. There, there, there's plenty coming on the horizon is all I'll say at this point. I want to also uh, give a quick shout out to Josh Gabalich. Thank you, Josh, for jumping on. Um, he was a pro as always. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, that is enough for this evening. Thank you so much, everyone. We will chat to you again soon. Good night. another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Footy Club coverage.